Possum Podcast. Toot toot. Tonight, Big Howlin' Possum presents frightening tales to tell when the lights are off for the night. Part one. We've got four bone curdling tales. Do bones curdle? Possum, are you asking me if bones curdle? Yeah. I've not heard of that happening, but I imagine under the right extremely spooky scenario, your bones could curdle. Ooh, okay. We'll leave that one in just in case bones can curdle. All right, we've got four bone-curdling tales, if that's possible. Tales that will keep you up at night when you should be sleeping. When we come back, we'll hear the first tale of the evening. Told by my bearded, handsome friend, Big Hal Dottie. Stay tuned and turn off them lights, you turkey. Our first tale of the evening comes to you from Big Howl, and it's called The Empty Fridge. The Empty Fridge. Yeah, The Empty Fridge. Yeah, it's called The Empty Fridge. That's what I said. Yeah, that's that's what it's called. Well, tell it. Tell the story. Okay. Darn this dry county, Mitchell Rodish said to himself peering over the empty chrome racks in his ancient refrigerator under its harsh yellow-green light. Darn this dry county, he repeated, closing the door and leaving himself in near-total darkness, staring hopelessly now at the ceiling. The only light remaining in the room came from the television set, which Mitchell slumped back towards, defeated by his latest futile trip to the refrigerator. He was watching the news, pretty much the only kind of thing he could watch anymore after giving up movies and football because they got too political. But the news was just normal guys like him. Guys who liked watching football and drinking a beer. Man, I could use a beer, Mitchell thought to himself. Stared over at the empty refrigerator again like a dog with an empty food bowl. Darn this dry county. Any other night, 
he could maybe drive over to Puttock County and buy a warm six-pack at the Rite Aid. But tonight was Sunday, and he was clean out of beer options all the way up to Skit City. Mitchell picked up his glass of room-temperature water and looked through it at the TV. No bubbles, no golden hue, just lifeless, clear fluid. Disgusting. Suddenly a loud boom startled Mitchell and the water in the glass rippled. He thought perhaps a transformer had blown up outside, but the TV remained on. He wrestled himself up out of his chair, grabbed a flashlight, threw on his slippers, and stepped out into the night air to see what happened. Out behind the shed, Mitchell could see a dim blaze and some smoke rising. And when he got over to it, he encountered what looked like a small aircraft, perhaps a drone or a radio-operated children's toy. Darn those purse lawn boys, he said, referring to his rich neighbors up the road with their three gadget-hungry sons. But the lid on this miniature craft opened and an all-too-real smoke emerged from the hatch. This was no toy. Mitchell waved the smoke away with his hands and looked down into the open craft to see. A six-pack of beer. Oh my god. Six beer bottles, looking ice cold as a tundra dawn. He couldn't believe his eyes. What in heaven, he said, and looked around to make sure he was not being pranked. Beer, he said lustily. Greetings, Earthling, one of the ice-cold beers responded. We have had to make an emergency landing. Can you help us? Your beer, Mitchell responded. Yes, we come from Planet Beer, the beer said back. Planet Beer, Mitchell repeated. My name is Captain Crisp, from Planet Beer, said the beer, and Mitchell nodded at him distractedly. What temperature are you, Captain Crisp? Uh, We are all quite cold, as is our preference. And I imagine you guys are brewed with the freshest, high-quality ingredients. Oh yes, Earthling. We are cold-filtered and brewed with a family recipe dating back generations. Well, I'm gonna level with you, Captain Crisp. I'm gonna drink you and your buddies here. The beers gasped in terror. But Mitchell grabbed the pack they were seated in and carried the ice-cold beer back to the house and placed it into the fridge. Over the loud protests of the visiting aliens, he grabbed Captain Crisp by the neck and grabbed his bottle opener from the door. The beers screamed in terror when they saw the opener. Before Mitchell could pop his cap off, Captain Crisp warned him that more vessels would arrive once they received the distress call. More beer, Mitchell said to himself. Mmm, sounds good. We will hear the conclusion of the empty fridge after this spooky little break.
Now, Big Al. Yes, sir? In this story, a man who lives in a dry county, which is scary already. Mm -hmm. I hate to be dry. I would hate to live in a county that is defined by its dryness. Well, there he is, stuck with just some water to drink. Nasty old water. Ain't got no beer. And lo and behold, a spaceship comes down with beer. Now, is this a ghost story or is this a dream come true? <laughs> like many ghost stories, Mr. Possum, this one I, I think might turn out to be a situation that's too good to be true. You know what I mean? Ah, uh, the old monkey paw returns, I see. Or it's possible that I have thrown you off by making Mitchell the main character of the story when he's actually the monster. Oh. You see, he's grabbing these beers and popping their caps off, and drinking them. I mean, these are sentient creatures, Mr. Possum. Right, they at least have voices. You know, they probably have lives and loved ones, and so what? So they're, so they're cold, delicious beer. So what? They absolutely do have lives and loved ones and ranks and uh, accomplishments and achievements, and they're they're out... They're exploring space in a vessel, and they unfortunately uh, end up on a planet that's hostile and wants to eat them, which I think is, I mean, you could argue that's sort of one of the things you sign up for when you become a, a space astronaut. That's why I've always kind of subscribed to be as nasty as possible, that kind of thinking, because I don't want anybody to eat me or collect me if I go to another planet. Yeah. These beers are too tasty for their own good, and boy, did they land in the wrong county. Yeah, and I've also, I've personally always subscribed to the idea of not traveling in space, because something's going to crack your head off and drink you. Let's return to the spooky tale, The Empty Fridge. Mitchell chugged Captain Crisp, tossed his empty remains into the sink, and reopened the fridge to find the rest of the six-pack staring at him with panicked faces. Please, said one of the beers. We have families back home. We're on a peaceful mission. We mean your people no harm. Well, you picked the wrong place then. I'm sorry, but I love beer and your beer, said Mitchell. Now who's next? Take me next, said one of the beers. No, Charles, protested the beer next to it. I can't watch you go first. Drink me next instead. Okay, said Mitchell and popped the cap off the beer that was speaking. It let out a momentary howl as the gas escaped, and the other beers looked on in silence and horror as the fridge door shut between them. Mitchell took this beer over to the chair and sat down. Man, this was a good beer. Nice and fresh, not skunky like the warm stuff they got at the Shell Station. Mm-mm-mm. This must have been some kind of miracle, Mitchell thought to himself. He sipped the second brew and paused to look through it at the TV. Golden hue. Beautiful, lively bubbles. Just then a loud thud happened outside and he nearly dropped his bottle. Looks like more beer has arrived, he said to the bottle and chuckled mischievously. He grabbed his flashlight and headed out the door into the night and again saw some lights and smoke from behind the barn. He skipped merrily over to it, pausing only to sip his delicious victim. He stopped in surprise, however, when a bright spotlight flashed in his face, and he heard a gasp over a loudspeaker. Commander Brewski, the voice exclaimed. Mitchell meekly took the beer away from his lips. Oh, sorry, was I, was I not supposed to drink Commander Brewski? 
Uh, they said I could drink them, he tried to explain. They said it was fine. They said they wanted me to drink them. Sir, you have committed the sin of intergalactic murder. And by cosmic law, we are authorized to carry out your execution at this very moment, the alien responded. The light dropped from his face and Mitchell stood there dumbfounded. How are a bunch of little beer bottles going to take him on? Come and try it, he said. He could see that this vessel was much larger than the last one. And slowly a hatch opened and hundreds of beer bottles waddled out in formation. Then Mitchell gasped in horror as he saw a large robot operated by a bottle in its chest cavity stomp down the ramp toward him, holding a large bottle cap opener, just big enough to fit a human head through. Oh my gosh, that's a spooky one. They're going to pop his head off. Yeah. Do you think that them beers are going to drink his blood? No, I doubt it. I don't think they drink anything. I think you just got to keep them cool and they're fine. That's a simple life to be a beer. Yeah. Well, do you have a story for us, Mr. Possum? I might have a tale. I do have a tale. Actually, it doesn't have any hair on it. It's 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 kind of fleshy, and it's one of the things that people don't like about me. <laughs> no, I've got a spooky tale. It's called The Guy with the Phone. The Guy with the Phone. Yes, it's called The Guy with the Phone. All right, we'll be back in a minute. With Possum's story, The Guy with the Phone. Welcome back, dear listeners, and it is my turn to tell the tale. I present to you the guy with the phone. There was a guy with a phone, and it would ring from this number he didn't recognize. And the first few times, he just hung up. 
Eh, probably a telemarketer, he said. Kept on ringing. And he let it go to voicemail this time. And he heard this weird sound on the message. Kind of sound like... For like 30 seconds. And then it was done. Message over. Well, that was weird, he thought. Sounds like somebody's pocket dialing me. But who? Again, his phone rang. This time he picked it up. On the other end. Reek, 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 reek. And the man said, hello? Hey, I don't know who this is, but you're pocket dialing me. Stop it. It's nearly Halloween, and you're giving me the spookies. No response. Just again. Reek, 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 reek. Again, the phone rang. And again, the weird rubbing sound. But this time he heard something strange. A low growl. Deep. Fearsome. It sounded like the phone was deep within a monster's belly. He hung up the phone. Again, his phone rang. He was about to lose his mind. He figured, well, if somebody's pocket dialing me, maybe if I shout real loud into the phone, maybe they'll hear it. Ring, ring. He picked up the phone and shouted as loud as he could. Hey, buddy, listen to your pocket. Quit calling me. This is your pocket speaking. And then suddenly, right outside his window, he heard his own voice yelling. Hey, buddy. Listen to your pocket. Quit calling me. This is your pocket speaking. And he thought, Whoa, are they right outside? And he looked out and he didn't see nobody. So he called the number. And lo and behold, he heard a cell phone ringing right outside his door. He dashed to the door, threw it open, and didn't see anyone. But then he looked down. He saw a massive beast, a crocodile, on his front porch. And he was wearing little blue jeans. And man, were they stiff and tight. And right there in the back pocket, he could see the phone lighting up and ringing. He gasped. He had been called by the butt dial crocodile. And his last thought before being eaten by this prehistoric beast was, how did he get this number? How did he get that little button of jeans? The end. That's a harrowing tale, Mr. Possum. Mm-hmm. Happened to a guy. It's real. Suppose it could have just been a random number. And that's some bad luck there. Right. I mean, it does kind of feel like he was being targeted because, you know, to dial a random number and then to, you know, show up on that porch seems a little odd. Yeah. I think what happened, if we're going to pick it apart and possibly ruin it, I think what happened is that a buddy of his who is really small, a little small buddy of his who had some tight jeans and a phone in the pocket, had him on speed dial and lost his pants in his front yard, and then a crocodile put him on. And then just kind of waited to eat the guy from in, inside the house. <laughs> Ew. Yeah. 
Well, all right. I don't know why you couldn't have told that story uh, from from the start. I don't know why you were, you you had all this uh, mystery and foreboding throughout it. You uh-huh. could have just had it start with somebody losing their jeans in their yard, and then uh, That's scary on its own. And then, yeah, <laughs> like what what scenario leads to that? Oh, maybe the crocodile ate his jeans off. Yeah. Maybe his buddy came over to his house to to hang out and 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 then the crocodile like ate him. Mm-hmm. Like, but you know, think he ate his shoes, and then he, you know, got a good tooth hold on the jeans, and then he kind of wriggled out and ran away. And he couldn't call his friend to say, "Hey, there's a crocodile there," because you know, phone's in his pocket. Right. And then the crocodile, of course, like crocodiles are known to do, dons the clothing that he has ripped off the victim there. Yeah. He did. You need the mystery. You need it needs to be told from the guy inside the house for it to be probably one of the best ghost stories told in the last twenty years or so. That's what it needs. Mm-hmm. And I knew that. And as a master storyteller, I did that. So yeah. You are listening to frightening tales to tell when the lights are off for the night. The lights are off during the day, all day, but there's the sunshine. But at night, there's darkness. Tonight, me and Big Al are telling spooky tales. And I believe Big Al has another knee-knocking yarn for us tonight. It's called The Angel of Death. Just a, just angel of death, Mr. Possum. It's called Angel of Death. Angel of Death. That's what I said. No, that's that's the first line of the story, Mr. Possum. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Angel of Death, Stan Shucker said quizzically as he pulled the old cardboard container out of the bin. Never heard of this one. And it's still in its box. Stan loved finding old, obscure video games. And this is one he hadn't even read about. The cartridge was for the old Tender Vision console, which was short-lived and unpopular, but he had one. Surprised I never heard of this one, he muttered. There weren't many games made for Tender Vision, and Stan thought he had them all. There wasn't much info on the box, but it looked scary with a kind of pixelated flying Grim Reaper on it. Stan had to play this thing. He took it up to the counter where Heather was working the register. You find everything all right? She said coolly to him. Yeah, I found this weird old game I've never heard of. Wow, Heather said. So you want a bag or what? It says 1985, so this would have been the very last run of Tender Vision games, Stan said. She looked at him blankly. Bag? Uh, no thanks. Stan walked off after an awkward pause. Heather really didn't want to talk to him anymore. She used to love talking about old video games when they were dating. In fact, he helped her get this job at Hardly's Game Exchange. But she had fallen for her manager, Josh Hardly, the son of Old Man Hardly. 
and now she always treated Stan like an old sock from the garbage. Stan's frustration was balanced out by his excitement over this new game, Angel of Death. Looks like you get to play the Grim Reaper in this, he surmised. Once home, he pulled his old Tender Vision console out of the closet and hooked it up to the TV. It took a few tries and a few long blows on the cartridge to get the game working, but soon some ominous 8-bit organ music was playing and some text on the screen told Stan that he was now the Grim Reaper. Choose your destination, it said, and it showed a little ghostly reaper on a large map of buildings. Stan used the controller to hop from building to building to explore the area. What was the game strategy? Would he encounter something that would fight him? What could fight the Angel of Death? Would he be attacked by health food and exercise equipment, he joked to himself. He landed on the roof of the library. Taggart County Library, the sign said. Stan froze. That's our library. That's our local library. How is it in this game? He pressed B and the Reaper entered the library. Against a simple two-dimensional background stood a rendering of Miss Maine's, the librarian. Live or die, prompted the text. A to live, B to die. We'll be right back with the conclusion of Angel of Death. tales to tell when the lights are off. And Big Hal was creeping me out with this story about a video game that ain't acting right. Yeah, this guy who's kind of like a like a video game nerd. He likes old vintage games. He comes across a game that is too frighteningly real. Sort of like those old stories where someone's doing a puzzle and it's like it turns out to be the room they're in, you know? Ooh, yeah, puzzles. Well, why don't you take us to the conclusion of Angel of Death? I sure will. Stan pressed A to allow Miss Maines to live and exited the library. Holy smokes. This was like something out of a horror story. Could this be real? Could this game actually cause people to die? Stan stepped away from the game console and thought for a bit. 
He had to test the game, but he didn't want to do any harm to anyone. Any harm to anyone except, well, Josh Hardley, he thought. That's it. That's how I'll test it, Stan thought. It probably won't do anything, but if it does, it'll take out Heather's new boyfriend. The guy who makes fun of me all the time for liking old games. Stan picked up the controller and navigated the Grim Reaper guy over to Josh Hardley's house. He entered the building and saw Josh rendered an 8-bit on a big couch. A to live, B to die. He paused nervously. A to live, B to die. Could he do this? Should he risk it? If it worked, would he be able to live with himself? I mean, it's just a game, and he'd get to enjoy at least pretending he could get rid of Josh. No, this was too weird, he thought. It had to be real. It had an image of Josh. But should he do it? Stan looked at the smirking face of Digital Josh and said, Hell with it. Beat a die, you jerk. He pressed the button and the music played a loud crash and the screen blinked. Oh, what have I done, thought Stan. What did I do? Am I a murderer? Suddenly some funny carnival music began playing in the game. And some text popped up. Hey Stan, this is Josh. I knew you liked these stupid old games, so I cooked this one up for you. It has a remote signal in the cartridge, so I'll know that you tried to kill me. And that is not cool. So me and my friends are coming over right now to throw cold cuts at your house. Way to screw this up like you screwed things up with Heather, you loser. You're pathetic and don't ever come into my store again. The end. Shoo-wee. What happens if somebody throws cold cuts at your house? Is that bad? Just a gesture of disrespect? It's a gesture of disrespect. Um... It's all, it also, I think if the, if the, uh, this might be an old wives tale, but I think if the cold cuts land on painted shutters, I think they might suck some of the paint off of them. Oh. Then you got polka dot shutters. Boy, he sure got his, didn't he? Yeah, he sure did. Life gave him a quiz and he failed. As humans so often do. You like that creepy laugh? That was a great laugh, Mr. Possum. You should do that more often. Uh, you got a story for us, don't you, Mr. Possum? Oh, of sorts. The tale I'll be telling isn't a tale at all. It's a, it's an actual nightmare I had, Big Hal. The dream started out just fine and normal. I was on a flying carpet made out of a wet lasagna noodle. I was soaring high above the neighborhood. Hooting and hollering I was. And all the other possums below were so jealous. The noodle was very slippery, but somehow I was able to stay on it just by laying on my belly and hanging onto the sides of it. Boy, was it a thrill. But then suddenly everything changed. The magic noodle carpet was suddenly on the ground in a spooky forest. And it wasn't a noodle anymore. It was a big piece of skin. Ew, gross. I felt a great sense of dread. I've never been a boy scout, 
but common sense tells me if there's bears and wolves out here, the last place I want to be is on top of this skin rug. So I stood up and walked into the forest, and all the owls started hooting. I don't know why. Probably trying to scare me. In real life, when it's not a dream, owls just like to bore you to death by summarizing the books they've read. But this was a nightmare, and they just kind of hooted spookily. I didn't like it. Not one bit. And then all of a sudden it starts raining and thundering all loud. And I didn't want to get smushed by a tree in a storm. So I took shelter in a nearby cave. And boy, it smelled ripe in there. Like somebody stinky lived there. But what choice did I have? Heck, I told myself, I'm stinky too. No big deal. I even said it out loud. I said into the darkness, Hey, big deal, I smell bad too, too, too. I ain't that scared, scared, scared. And then a lamp turned on. It was an old-timey lamp filled with Earl. And what I saw next nearly made me die in my sleep from fright. It was a bear wearing a floppy painter's hat and an apron. And he was working on a painting. But he wasn't using paint, Big Al. He was using blood. We'll be back in just a moment with the conclusion of My Nightmare. of a nightmare I had. Are you ready, Big Al? I'm on the edge of my seat, Mr. Possum. You just told me uh, about a bear that's painting something with blood. Yeah. I know you don't like to be on the edge of your seat. That's not the comfortable part of the seat, is it? I'm on the edge of my seat because I can't wait to get out of here because you're telling me a dream and there's no stakes and I don't really care. But it's a spooky dream, you jerk. Don't be like that. Come on. All right, here we go. Okay. There he was, a big eight-foot bear, holding a human skull filled with blood, painter's brush in his other hand. The floppy painter's hat was made out of a big mushroom cap, and to be honest, I think that was the source of the stench. Uh, what, 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 what you painting? I asked nervously. The bear beckoned me closer to see his canvas, and what I saw was not cool. It was a picture of that very bear eating my body. Legs first. His eyes look wilder, blood red. Too excited for my taste. Hmm, it's okay, I said. How how long you been working on it? 
Five years, he said. I gulped. Loud. Too loud. Really been building this moment up then, huh? I said. You know, you really shouldn't put moments on a pedestal. You're likely to be disappointed. And I was rudely interrupted mid-sentence. Right then, by the great beast eating me. Legs first. And ooh, it hurt. His powerful jaws just kept chomping on my poor bones. And, you know, to be honest, I knew I wasn't in great shape. I know I don't take care of myself that well. But I did not expect for my bones to be so easy to chew into. It was like he was eating cookie sticks. Ooh, slow down, big boy, I cried. You've been looking forward to this for five years, and you're going to finish me before you even get to taste me. Now, that may have worked in a fairy tale, but it did not work in the nightmare. He just kept chomping my brutal cookie bones until he gobbled me all up. And then suddenly, you know how dreams work, I was the bear. And you know what was weird? I felt fear. Fear. And I heard this shrieking outside. Ew, what a horrible sound. And it was coming from up above, from the air. And I very carefully, very gingerly peeked outside, looked up, and saw a big fat possum riding around on a big lasagna noodle. And I just knew, knew in my heart, that this thing was going to come in my cave some night and try to eat me. The end. That's the end of my dream. Wow. How about that? So, you're uh, coming to eat yourself at the end of your dream? It's just a constant cycle of preying on myself, I guess. Right. But here's what I would think in that scenario. If eating the bear turned me into the bear, if you become what eats you, which is sort of the opposite of the conventional wisdom on that, uh, if you become what eats you, then I would be, if I were you, I'd be very excited about the prospect of the possum coming down and eating me because then I'd get to be a possum again. Unless you're really excited about how cool it is to be a bear as opposed to being a possum. Well, here's the thing. I wasn't really excited during any part of my dream. I was just afraid the entire time. Yeah. That's the thing. You know, it's dream logic. It ain't really, you know, like a story. But I think the the sad thing is that I'm always afraid. I'm afraid of the bear. I'm afraid of me. And ultimately, I'm my own enemy. That's how I'm going to kind of interpret the dream. And that's scary. Yeah, kind of. Podcast. Toot toot.